am Natalie Van Hav. I'm the head of education at the European Hematology Association. And I'm Martin Dreiling, a uh, um, clinical doctor working in Munich, and my special interests are lymphoma. And accordingly, I'm co chair of the EHAS Special Working Group Lymphoma EA League, as well as board member. And today we're discussing uh, what's in store for lymphoid malignancies. Um, so, uh, Martin, uh, the European uh, Hematology Association has put in place a research roadmap. Can you tell us what it is? What does it mean? Well, I, I think this is an extremely important tool for all of us to predict which direction research is going. Of course, no one is able to look into the future, but um, we need some perspective and specifically in hematology, uh, we have major, um, well, you could say changes of rules in general, in that way that we're moving away from chemotherapy to different non-cytostatic approaches. Now, unfortunately, there's not only one lymphoma, but there are tons of, and in, in fact, some of these uh, directions of research are similar or general, and some of them are uh, more individual. For example, what is a general theme that we go into uh, investigate the um, molecular or genetic makeup of the malignant cells? And that has sometimes direct clinical implications. On the other hand, um, let's say we, we used to differentiate more indolent and more aggressive lymphoma. So for the time being, uh, for aggressive lymphoma, we still keep chemotherapy, mm -hmm. but for relapsed disease, we're moving either to targeted treatment or to immunological approaches. Okay. Now, in indolent lymphoma and the paradigma is CLL, there we uh, almost totally quit already chemotherapy. So there we step in immediately with targeted approaches. And still, it's really to, to, to tailor the treatment for the individual patients. And that's even now a standard of care based on the mutation status of single genes. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you, you gave us a couple of examples. Um, uh, I wanted to talk about Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah. Hodgkin's lymphoma, one of the big issues has always been the long-term complication of more traditional treatment. Where are we going now? It's very interesting. I, I, I just had a patient the other day, outpatient patient, who was treated with Hodgkin about 30 years ago. And at that time she was a youngster and she was irradiated, she received chemo. Um, but she also uh, had large field radiation, which was standard at that time. She was cured, but 20 years later, she has uh, quite a number of different late effects, and that's uh, including even secondary malignancy. Mm -hmm. So that tells us, um, we are, yes, we are really good in curing the vast majority of these patients, but now we also have to take care of the complications. Now, having said that, that's the reason, although we are so efficient, we are moving away from chemotherapy. For the time being, at least in Europe, I think, still first line mostly includes chemotherapy, but we substitute, we cut down intensity of chemotherapy and substitute either by specific antibodies or again by immunological approaches. 
and uh, the checkpoint inhibitors. Mm -hmm. And by that, um, we seem to exactly achieve the same early results. We still have to wait for long-term outcome, but what is predictable that we will see less of these long-term toxicities, like in my unfortunate patient I, I'm just taking care of. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, so you've mentioned also already, you've given us a little bit of information about CLL and the move away from the traditional treatment towards what is really part of precision hematology, right? Yeah. Uh, is it the same in the DLBCL, follicular lymphoma? Um, not yet really, and it's interesting. It all depends um, also on the tools you have, mm -hmm. which means the therapeutic tools, new compounds. It also depends on, on, and that is why it's so important, that's an integrated general theme of our uh, research map, that we have to work on, 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 on genetic markers who then will guide our treatment, so predictive markers for individual treatments. And uh, uh, for example, in CLL, really the front runner is P53, and that strongly, uh, you know, at least for chemotherapy, uh, differentiates between, between high risk and low risk patients. Mm -hmm. um, but nowadays we see specifically the high risk patients have incredible benefits of targeted approaches. So this difference becomes smaller also yeah. now between younger and older patients because we have less toxicities. So yes, we still modify, and I mentioned P53, mm -hmm. uh, but other um, parameters, you know, are less important. Mm -hmm. Now for DLBCL, uh, I'm afraid at least for first line, sorry, for, for uh, finishing up, um, I think there's something magic about Archer. We don't know why, but this is still today, after 45 years, the uh, approach which cures most patients overall. Mm -hmm. and, and so the results uh, of recent trials adding single targeted approaches, uh, you always have to be careful, first of all, about the tolerability of patients. So elderly patients, most of these studies had an disadvantage, whereas younger patients had an advantage. And what we also know, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma as a mixed bag. It's not one disease, mm -hmm. it's maybe a dozen of. And what is very likely that in five years from now, we will treat these subsets of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in a different way. So you mentioned just now, you were mentioning single agents. What I find interesting is, I'd like to have your opinion on combination treatment in different forms of lymphoma. And what do you see in the near future in that area? Uh, in aggressive lymphoma and diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, um, we probably have to go for combination uh, just because of efficacy. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's not that easy to find compound which specifically hits the Achilles heel of, of this kind of disease. And there's one exception if you want so, which had been already mentioned during our prior discussions, which is CAR T cells or, or immunological approaches, but they have a broad, let's say, target. Mm -hmm. So that's the exception. Okay. Now for inland disease, um, tolerability is much more important. So there we more tend to go for monotherapy. On the other hand, if you just go for one drug, but 
unlimited duration of treatment, mm -hmm. you will see more toxicity than with a combined approach for limited or fixed time period. So the, even in indolent lymphoma, the, the field is more and more uh, moving into a fixed duration treatment in the interest of our patient, because mm -hmm. we shouldn't forget one thing at a certain point, our uh, patients are no more so happy to regularly see their doctor. So they're happy when they're off their, their medication. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the decisions um, that are uh, being made in terms of treatment and a lot of the future, of course, depends on data. What is the place of big data? Let's say, in a, for example, if we talk about follicular lymphoma, uh, how is that going to help making a future decision and changes to protocols and treatments? I think it will make a huge difference and for a couple of reasons, not just only for one reason. Um, uh, the one point is all of our prospective randomized trials, and this is the highest level of evidence, is highly selective. And we never will have uh, uh, included more than, let's say, maximum of 1,000, normally only a couple of hundred patients in this trial. Now, big data has taken a totally different perspective. It really reflects real life. So all kinds of patients are being included. And then, and this is exactly the direction I was mentioning, the targeted uh, uh, approach, or let's say guided by, by individual molecular makeup, that you really have large data of thousands of patients mm -hmm. and thousands of markers. And here I'm afraid we come to the limit of, of, of our human brain. So here we need really put a very effective informatic algorithms, but with this uh, we can really identify totally new signal pathways and therefore a new tar uh, target. So this is an incredible powerful tool that has been already proven in the current projects of the Harmony Consortium. Exactly, yes. Um, one disease area that we haven't mentioned yet is multiple myeloma. Um, so, what, how do you see the future for multiple myeloma in the era of precision hematology? Multiple myeloma, I, I might say, is probably pretty much confusing for, for most of our colleagues who are not uh, managing these kind of patients on a daily basis. The reason is, you have a lot of different approaches. We used to play, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I know a colleague who, who retired, that was uh, although already 20 years ago, he said at that time life was easy. There was only one drug, melphalon, for multiple myeloma. And then in the intermediate time, uh, there were uh, additional two mechanisms, let's say, protosome inhibitors, bortezomib, but also emits like lenalidomide. Now it's becoming much more complicated with all kinds of different approaches. Um, really a very effective tool now is a CD38 antibody and they're different flavors by different companies. Um, this is the transformation we did in lymphoma already uh, a, a while ago. Now this is in my opinion also standard of care for the majority of uh, patients being treated first line with myeloma. On the other hand in relapse there's a growing um, um, Maybe also changing our dogma so far, um, it, it's fair to say that we still work with targeted approaches. The field is moving on again to immunological um, approaches. 
and that includes spice specifics. They're mostly targeted against BCMA, mm -hmm. and we also have CAR T cells. And um, these, the, the efficacy of these approaches is striking. It's really great. Again, patients who do not respond to anything else have run through their patient career, how it's been called cynically, um, run through all kinds of approaches, um, totally resistant and still respond to that. Unfortunately, um, they will respond only for a limited time. So this is why, and, and if I'm saying limited time, the median duration of remission or median PFS is in the range of somehow, as I said, initial very high responses, but median PFS uh, in the range of one to two years. Um, so we have to improve. And one option is to move these approaches forward in earlier lines. Uh, and the critical question, I personally do believe they will, be, they will remain very active uh, for the initial response. But the critical point will be really duration of remission, how long can really patients benefit from this, uh, from these kind of approaches? Okay. So I was going to ask you whether you thought there was hope for a cure of multiple myeloma, like what has been achieved with CLL. It's, um, I think we are not yet there, mm -hmm. but there is like uh, uh, in the medical term of chronification of kind of disease. So yes, uh, in prior times, you know, you had maybe one, maybe two effective treatment lines, but now you have to, a couple of them, mm -hmm. which makes it so much more complicated. The good thing, we have more choices. We can individualize a treatment, and that's frequently been done according to patient performance status mm -hmm. uh, or specific comorbidities. Mm -hmm. However, it's also difficult to, 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 to pick the optimal sequence for the individual patient. Yeah. So yes, we have significantly improved long-term outcome of our patients. Um, that's already fair to say. Um, uh, so what we told our patients, let's say 10, 15 years ago is no more the case. So that's good news, but there is definitely room for improvement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So medicine is getting really good at uh, treating non-malignant conditions in patients. So you treat heart disease, you, you know, all kinds of things. And your patients get older. And we know many patients with hematological cancer are older and older because they don't die of their other conditions. Do you feel that um, in clinical trials, enough of these older patients are included so that potential uh, treatment choices are actually available to them and I'm thinking about that particularly again in the context of HTA because there will be decision made comparing new treatments and uh, based on whether they are at least as good as previous treatment but in fact these new treatments may never have been formally tested in elderly patients is that going to be a problem absolutely and we all know that and, and that has been really shown by all kinds of investigations. All patients in, in prospective trials are younger, are fit, and not a representative of our general patient population. Um, now, as we are moving away from cyt uh, cytostatic treatment to targeted treatment or immunological treatment, 
we, we see you have less side effects and therefore, let's say, the age limit of these approaches is much less important. And on the other, uh, so we have, for example, a couple of data sets for, for CAR T cells where it's been shown that, in fact, um, uh, elderly, well, not elderly patients, fit older patients yeah. up to the age of 70, sometimes even 75, nicely respond to our treatment. Mm -hmm. And so this is really a little bit an eye opener. If we have set up risk factors for specific diseases, it's always also dependent on the kind of treatment, the selection of treatment we apply. Of course. And do you think this is an area where big data and real world data uh, projects like the Harmony project could bring interesting information and useful information? Absolutely. Uh, there, there, there are uh, uh, um, uh, two avenues to, to solve that problem. The one thing is going for registries, where on purpose you have essentially no inclusion criteria because you're not, not acting interventional. And that is a, a right representative picture of our clinical routine of our daily patients. The other point is, now this is obviously because it's not such a defined population. I would say a mixed bag, right? So an 18-year-old patient uh, has t totally different uh, challenges than an 80-year patient. And here it comes where, where really, again, such an approach like the Harmony approach is really helpful because it gives together so many patients, so many data that then you can really work on the subsets of patients and getting an easier readout of patient-specific interests. That's a very interesting uh, concept and I'm looking forward to seeing the results uh, of this in the near future. And thank you very much, Martin. I think uh, a very interesting conversation. Thank you.